Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. around my screens and I shouldn't have You were done. fiddling, weren't you? Yeah. You were fiddling yeah, yeah. with knobs and, and buttons, weren't you? <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know what uh, happens when you do that? Yeah, I should never be fiddling with knobs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we're um, we're back for episode six of UK Film Club. Mm. Um, are you excited, Brian? Oh, I'm always excited when we when we talk about films. It's one of my pet subjects, you know. It's um, it's it's one of my core interests. I, I always love talking about films. And we're hitting like a heavy period right now for you know great cinema in terms of like you know the big films coming to the screens yeah. and there's a lot yeah. out to see, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean this, I mean Ju- July, August is when the the big hitters really come into play, and we've really seen that now, haven't we? But then you kind of get a lull, don't you? End of August, going into the autumn, then it picks up again. But this is when they want to get bums on seats, isn't it, really? June, July time. And it, they've really hit the mark, haven't they, really? If you think post-COVID, we're getting to a stage now where you, you feel we're back to business as usual, you know, that we're back to normal uh, in terms of films being released and films being made. So that's always a good sign. Yeah, it's like the studios have kind of caught up with all the yeah. backlog and, and now can actually yeah. start timing releases quite well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And yeah, so uh, before we get into our show, um, mm. we'll just tell people what's coming up. So oh, yeah. if you if this is your first time to UK Film Club, um, Brian is our sort of head film critic, really. Nope. He, Thanks. Yeah, well, yeah, he's got that title just now. That just Cheers. happened. Thanks for that. Um, so he nice reviews one. the big cinema films and... Um, very kindly goes and watches a selection, usually about four or five of them. Mm-hmm. Um, he will review first. Then we'll review something big on streaming. So something from the sort of heavy hitters like Netflix, Worms and Prime. Um, then we'll review a few indie films. And we now have people 
uh, they're able to actually request a review. So if you are an indie filmmaker listening to this, um, you can go to ukfilmreview.co.uk forward slash podcast and all the details are on there on how you can enter your film so that we review it in that indie section. And then the final part of the show is where we review a our nostalgia pick, which is mm. a film from the past, really, mm. that we just yeah. want to cover and finish up on. But before we start all that, Brian, on this show, I'm, I'm yeah. bucking the trend slightly because I put out a Twitter post, uh, yeah. although it's called X now, isn't it? Uh, depending on when you're listening to this, maybe oh, it's rebranding. Right. Yeah. yeah, of course it is, um, yeah. Where I talked about, I said... Um, What's your most unconventional cinema snack? And oh. we had a few replies, but I'd want to hear yours first, Brian. Have you ever taken anything into a screening to eat or drink that was no. kind of unconventional? No, 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 not at all. I've got into the habit now where I don't take any food into a screening. I take possibly a bottle of water. Mm. My, my habit always is that I graze on food, particularly when I'm watching TV. So it's a way of breaking the habit temporarily by going to the cinema and not having any food. <laughs> so it's it's kind of like prevention being better than cure. I mean, I know I'm going to be stuffing my face when I come out, but so because of that, I don't necessarily, but I'm really curious by what you, by unconventional snacks. Well, yeah, we had a few which was interesting and funny enough when me and you went to see Fast and Furious, they yeah. put they put out, didn't they, some sort of free bags of popcorn right. and and neither one of us touched them. <laughs> no, I know. They didn't look all that appetizing, did they? But that's probably why they were free. Yeah, I know. no, it looked like the sort of bog standard uh, popcorn, yeah. but but it no. was also I'm not a big fan of eating popcorn in the cinema and no. I get a lot of guff for this because I'm you know, obviously it's the most uh, sort of common snack but it's it's noisy it goes on forever it's not my daughter absolutely loves popcorn she's obsessed with it um and it oh just the smell of it and everything i'm so yeah i'm not keen really i never have been not on popcorn it's all right it's okay but i understand why people feel the need to eat but i mean i think we need silent snacks snacks that don't make any noise when you eat them because you look inside any cinema foyer what have you got You've got the noisiest foods ever invented. <laughs> Popcorn and, and nachos and peanuts and crisps. You know, they couldn't find anything more noisier, could they really? But, you know, it's what people like to do, isn't it really? And, of course, you can't expect a cinema not to sell those snacks. But it doesn't stop people to take... I think some cinemas... Do, do some cinemas stop um, people from taking food in? Like their own food, yeah. yeah. I, I think I think they do. Some um, do, don't they, I think? Some some do, um, and also I think there is a kind of general consensus amongst most people now that we need to be supporting the cinemas, and they do make a lot of money yeah. off the snacks and stuff. Oh, of course, they do. I just you know as as a guy that has two daughters and a wife, it's like if we go to the cinema, first off, you know, you're talking. 40 50 quid for the tickets and then if you're buying snacks it's like double that and I it's know, like to right. just go and see a film to, yeah. and also it's not like oh you're getting duck a la orange it's like you're getting these oh. horrible junk food that yeah, is it's just awful so the thing yeah. is you know it's pretty basic it's edible but it's just something to, to munch on isn't it while you're watching yeah. a film because it's replicating the experience of being at home isn't it they want people to feel as comfortable as possible so they they supply what is basically junk stroke comfort food and there's nothing wrong with that. But Well, have a listen to this, Brian, because actually, right. you know, this could buck the trend. Maybe oh, cinemas okay. are going to jump on this. Now, right. a couple of these are from writers of the site. So Darren Tilby, who's a you know, great writer, he's, he's written right. loads of stuff for us uh, in the past. Uh-huh. Um, he takes in a Tesco extra large whole roast chicken. <laughs> what? <laughs> a roast chicken. <laughs> <laughs> You're kidding me. 
<clears throat> now, if you're going to feast on something, that's that's great, but it, that is pretty unconventional, and it's also pretty disturbing for anyone. It also depends on the film you're watching, right? So, if you're watching yeah. something where that is going to like also affect how you experience the film, um, you know, me, yeah. anything I mean, with, like cannibalism or anything like that, yeah. it's like, oh no, no, no. Well, he's, I admire his healthy appetite. I've got a healthy a- a- appetite, so I kind of see where he's coming from. But I mean, wow, that is unusual. I've never seen anyone take a whole. A whole chicken into into a cinema, or, or sit there with it. Yeah, no, that's. I've seen someone eat a Nando's. They had Nando's, but I don't know if it was a whole chicken. But it was in yeah. the Nando's packet, and I thought, oh yeah. gosh, I can smell that. Yeah, um... You can't. The smells a good giveaway, <laughs> isn't it? When you're in yeah. a, f- a fairly sort of close enclosed sort of screen as well. Yeah. So we had um, Amber Jackson. If you don't know Amber, she hosts the Gay Actually podcast, um, and she's a great writer for the site. She took in Bow Bow Buns, um, <laughs> which you know I love it. I love it. I think enough. Also, they're soft, right? So say, yeah. that's fine. It's not like, going to make much of a crunch, quiet, just depending on quiet. the filling. That's quiet. Yeah, quiet. No, I'm yeah, happy, that's very what, happy with that. That's what we want. Um, yeah. And then yeah. Louis Findlay, who is a filmmaker, he takes in a boot meal deal. Now, <laughs> I oh. like that. I like how specific this was. Um, <laughs> but I am just trying to see if you sort of uh, elaborated on what it was yeah. <laughs> that, that well, he had in there. But, but yeah, no, I think um, you know those are some very interesting picks, and I'm all for it. I think yeah. if you're going to take food in, and that's fine, we don't want to stop people doing that. But I would just say to cinemas, you know, up your game, put a roast chicken there. I'll I buy know. it. I was, was going to say they they should um they should pick up on this, shouldn't they? They really? could have one of those like rotisserie things, but it's in the no. seat in front of you. So the person that sat in front of you has got like a little fire behind them, and you're just like <laughs> yeah. turning a, a chicken. Yeah, but I'll tell you what though, with particularly long films, I mean, you look at Oppenheimer for example; it's three hours long. You know, and people are going to get hungry, aren't they? You know, if you make them sit still for that length of time. You do have to really plan your snacks in a, in a film like that as well. Yeah. Because if you have anything like really sugary, because I'm, I'm a sucker for chocolate. So I'll eat like oh, yeah, minstrels or something at the beginning. Yeah, and then terrible. about 10 minutes in, I'm going to have a massive crash, which is yeah. just not good. So, yeah. well, when, when I used to, when I used to eat, um, eat in the cinema, it would be chocolate. But it would be something like Revels, the big sort of one of those big, oh. maybe a couple of them. Revels is the one where they have like the mixture of flavors. Yeah, right? is that that's... like the gamble? Is there any of them that you don't like? Well, probably the the, uh, the toffee ones. I'm not a big fan fan of toffee generally, uh, so I I might sort out the toffee ones. But the rest of them, it's fair game. You know, I, I wouldn't discriminate against any any of the rest of them. But you see, that's the thing. I know if I took a bag, of, if I grabbed a bag of those at the kiosk, they would be gone within half an hour. Really, I, I just can't help doing that. So, I, as I say, that's why I've stopped. That's because how I you know that control your urges is just to yeah. not have it, and then you you're forced into like at least two, three hours of not yeah, eating. That's right. It's abstinence, it. isn't it? Really, it's a bit. I'm teaching myself a bit of discipline, but not that anyone else listening out there shouldn't indulge themselves and do what they want. That's great. Yeah. But be know. the best you. That's what I say. Yeah. And if that involves eating a whole chicken, go for it. Yeah, um, that's right. So, uh, and you mentioned Oppenheimer. We're not reviewing that on the show, right? That's not no, in that's your list. Gonna, that's going to be next month. It next kind month. of got released a bit too close to recording this one. Yeah. So we're going to save that one for next month. Yeah, no problem. So the films for the cinema that we'll be reviewing um, are pretty cool. We've got some excellent movies coming up. Yeah. The first one is a long-awaited, uh, what, what, what would be a fifth version of a film? 
It is the fifth, uh, isn't it? It's the fifth. Yeah, it's a, the fifth. Fifth, a fifth call. A fifth call. A fifth call. A fifth call. Fifth, um, all right, we'll settle on that. A fifth call. So, that kind of works. Fifth call. Yeah. If you don't know the film we're talking about, it's Indiana Jones. Stay where you are. Don't move. Who are these people? We need to get out of here. Are they with you? Not an inch, Michelle. Michelle, stop! It's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So this is directed by James Mangold, starring Harrison Ford, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Mads Mikkelsen and Toby Jones. The story begins in 1945 as the Second World War is drawing to a close. Hitler has ordered his henchmen to relieve Europe of its finest artefacts. Indiana Jones is hot on the tracks alongside fellow archaeologist Basil Shaw. However, Nazi scientist Dr. Voller has discovered an artefact with terrifying power. Archimedes' dial is a time-bending device that can change the course of history. The narrative jumps forward to 1969, when Jones reunites with goddaughter Helena. She's the daughter of Basil Shaw and studying for a doctorate—sorry, not a doctorate—a doctorate in archaeology. Helena is determined to track down Archimedes' dial with Jones' help, but Indy is not convinced by her motives as sinister forces begin to close in. Anyway, look, this is all great entertainment, but it does feel a bit like a greatest hits package. The stunts look familiar, set pieces are well executed, but Harrison Ford tearing around at the age of 80, Chris, I kind of worry about him, you know? Jumping on the horse and all that, you know, it's not what an 80-year-old should be doing. The most remarkable part of this film is the first 40 minutes when AI de-ages Ford and it works really well. They're mixing old footage from other movies but the cracks soon appear when the story jumps forward to the 60s. He doesn't look the age he's meant to be. But Indiana Jones is still a great character, still great fun to watch. But I just feel that they've left Ford in the role for, for a bit too long. And it's almost like one last film for old time's sake. And I would like to see them keep the brand fresh and do what they do with James Bond, reboot the, the, the franchise with by casting a, a new a new Indiana Jones. But aside from that, not the best, but not nowhere near the worst. It, it's, it's good entertainment, but it's not. It doesn't bear comparison to, to say, the first two Indiana Jones films. It's funny because I watched uh, the Indiana Jones for the very first time a couple of years ago was when right. my uh, second daughter was born mm-hmm. and I watched them consecutively uh, over Four right. nights, and I really didn't enjoy the second one. That's the really? one where he goes into the temple, isn't it? Yeah, in the temple of June, doing. Yeah, and I, it got just absolutely batshit crazy, and I was like, I yeah. don't understand what's happening. Like, it was just a bit mental. Whereas I actually quite liked one and three. Four was definitely the worst. Like that was just yeah, nobody unbearable. likes that. Nobody so likes was that it, one. so is this better than four? It's better than four, but not as good as one or three. I, I take your point about two. But, you know, you, you kind of, 
all films polarise opinion to a certain extent, don't they? Because everyone's got a view of what's what's the best and what isn't. But so what's, you, what's your order then? What, what would, in terms of favourite to not favourite? Um, I think one, followed by three, followed by two, followed by five, followed by four. Okay, well, yeah, same in line with me, but yeah, I haven't seen this pretty, yet. So. Yeah, pretty similar. But bear in mind how long Indiana Jones has been around. I mean, the first film came out in 1981. And I can remember being absolutely blown away by it. I loved it when it f- first came out. But I suppose, like yourself, you have to take account of people arriving late to the party, if you like, and seeing it years after it was first made. Because I think... When you see a film that was a massive hit in the early 80s, but you see it years later, right, your expectation changes because you've seen films move forward, don't they? The technology changes. So that all comes into play. But I I think it's interesting when you, when you, when you, if you see a film for the first time when it first comes out, but then you perhaps you see it when it's been around for maybe 20 years, you know, times change and, your view of it might change, but I remember being enthralled by the first one. But it it does depend. But I think you you know the way you see different films do change as time goes on. But you know, as a I, th- I think it's the fact that Harrison Ford is the age he is now. Probably shouldn't be playing Indiana Jones, and I think it is kind of old time's sake, isn't it? Really. There you go. Well, you heard it here first. Brian saying that Harrison Ford needs to. Quit. So, well, Indiana yeah. Jones, anyway. Yeah. Indiana Jones. You know, no, no, no. Don't take it back. You said you hate <laughs> Harrison Ford. You want him cancelled. You just absolutely loathe him. <laughs> that is not true. Um, yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Yeah. So currently at cinemas. Um, I'm not sure how long it will last. Right. Uh, well, yeah. I it's, think it's still doing okay. Yeah. But it's possibly missed. It's probably past its peak in terms of you know, the bums that it puts on seats and the, you know, so I think bearing in mind what came after as well. Yeah, there's quite a lot of choice suck. at the moment. I yeah. think it's going to uh, yeah. take away there. Yeah, but uh, still there, though, still hanging in there. There we go. Well, we're taking a little bit of a trip back with this next one. Um, Ziggy Stardust. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm really, I'm actually really glad that we've been able to review this film, Chris, because it's an opportunity to highlight what else the cinema can offer aside from the usual theatrical releases. This was a global premiere of Ziggy Stardust, the newly restored film of David Bowie's final outing as his legendary alter ego. For those who are unfamiliar with the character, Ziggy Stardust was Bowie's stage persona for a brief spell in the 1970s. It spawned two albums and a string of live concerts with backing band The Spiders from Mars. The evening began with a Q&A session, broadcast live from the Hammersmith Odeon, where exactly 50 years ago, the gig took place. The panel was chaired by journalist Phil Alexander as they explored the genius that was David Bowie. The panel featured Suggs from Madness and Ken Scott, who produced four of Bowie's albums. That was followed by the film itself, which was being live by satellite across the world. So it was directed by D.A. Pennybaker, and starring David Bowie, obviously as Siggy Stardust, backed by the Spiders from Mars, consisting of Mick Ronson on guitar, Trevor Boulder on bass, and Mick Wubensey on drums. Although badged as a documentary, it's really a film of the concert. There isn't much of a narrative here. The tale of an androgynous alien rock star is told in the title song, 
and sets the tone for a classic gig. The songs speak for themselves. All the young dudes, oh, you pretty things. Gene Genie, Changes, Space Oddity, I could go on. There's nothing particularly striking about D.A. Pennybaker's film in purely cinematic terms. The jerky handheld cameras often lose focus, and poor lighting at the Odeon doesn't help. But the sound quality is astonishing and benefits from 5.1 surround sound. Frankly, the grainy visuals let the film down, but this remains one of the greatest rock concerts ever committed to film. Wow. That is high praise because yes, I am I'm a big fan of oh, musical biopics and yeah. I'm a big fan of, of uh, a lot of these sort of classic concert films. I remember yeah. watching um, the original Woodstock movie. Oh, right, um, yeah, that, yeah. I tell you what, we talk about a long film, that's long. Um, but it does it go was, on a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it, that is true. But it was you know, so compelling because it just felt yeah. like a, this little capsule of time that you just you know, were being able to witness that you never yeah. would have been able to otherwise. Um, yeah, it sounds right. like a bit like this where you're sort of being able to, especially obviously because um, Bowie's sadly passed away, that yeah. it makes it all the more poignant that he's been captured in this moment yeah. and you know and in such a powerful way and yeah. and to have so did it get um put back into a few cinemas is that what we're doing here i th- yeah i think it did periodically I, I think listeners will need to have a have a dig round because it i think it they they do plan to show it again at some point but they won't pick their moment the reason this was done is because it was 50 years to the day so when i saw it on the 3rd of july it was exactly 50 years ago that the gig took place so there was a reason for doing it then. But I think if listeners keep a, a close eye out, it will get periodically shown at the cinema. I mean, sorry, go on, after you. No, I was just saying uh, I had a look and I can't see any showtime. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you'd be very lucky to find one. Yeah, but as I say, that in the, uh, the Q&A, that they did mention that there was a possibility it could be shown again. So people just need to keep an eye out for it. but Or else it will... It will be streaming at some point, I'm sure. But there's always value in uh, putting this kind of film on the big screen because there's nothing like it, particularly with, with the surround sound that you get. And it gives the music new life. And someone like David Bowie, whatever your opinion is, whatever your taste are in music, is one of the true artists who created music of rare beauty and intelligence. And if you can see it on the big screen, Please do so. Wow. A stunning review there of a stunning film. Fantastic. Um, One one other thing I would mention there, though, Chris, is that we can see other things at the cinema. You can see live football, live concerts, theatre shows, ballet, classic movies. Some cinemas are showing the Women's World Cup at the moment. So there is so much you can see there. And I think we need to give... Give that a bit of a shout, just so that people are aware and they don't forget what else they can see at the cinema. Yeah, funny enough, um, I've only ever seen one opera, and I saw it at the cinema. Um, oh, which uh, one was that? Then? Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. And as soon as I told <laughs> the story, and I was like, I can't remember what it was. Um, but I, I and I, what was good about the uh, experience? I went with a, an old editor when I was writing for a magazine, and I was like, yeah. he, he, he said, "Oh, let's go, and you can write it up." And I was like, you know, you feel a bit cultured. He's like, oh, I'm watching an opera. Yeah. But but you had the safety net of being in a cinema because it was like you weren't in a theater or you're worried about what you're doing or how you look because you're yeah. all, it's all in dark and it's great. Yeah. Um, and I was able to sort of 
immerse myself but i did find that it's just not for me i didn't enjoy it at that time anyway this was going yeah. back a good 10 10 12 years yeah but, no i mean yeah. i was it was it in italian the opera it was yeah, yeah. subtitles oh. yeah. yeah yeah so that's kind of a help but i think I'm not a huge fan of the opera, but you do get to see something in a, in a different light. When you, when you see anything on a big screen, it looks different. It feels different. But what Yeah, and I think what, you're right, you know, in terms of shouting it out and what's going on. I actually didn't yeah. know they were doing the Women's World Cup because actually that's yeah. great because um, me and my daughter like to watch that. Yeah. So You, yeah, you need to look around, though. It depends on what your local multiplex is. And, you know, but, it, but it is on. You can find it. Nice. Thank you, Brian. Um, right, okay, pleasure. so that was Ziggy Stardust. Uh, next up is Pixar's latest offering, Elemental. Hey, Fern. How you doing? Living the dream. <laughs> you know those citations I just gave you from Firetown? I was about to send them to Mrs. Cumulus, then get sprayed for fungus rot. Wait! Tell him what you told me about your dad and letting him down? No, that's personal. It really got to me. He might feel it too. Her dad will be nope. super... So no. Super disappointed in her. Stop it. He might even be... Ashamed. What are you doing? But the main thing is, if her father can't retire, it will be all embers. Stop talking! Yes, right, okay. Yeah, so this is directed by Peter Sloan, starring, or I should say voiced, by Leah Lewis, Marmadou Athi, Ronnie Del Carmen, and Sheila Omni. This is the tale of outsiders trying to fit into an often hostile environment and a sense of community that grows around their own kind. A family of fire elements emigrate, emigrate to Element City. Bernie Lumen works hard to build up a, a business. Mama Cinder raises their feisty and fiery daughter, Ember. Um, Bernie aims to hand the business over to Ember when he retires, but she just cannot control her temper with difficult customers. Ember's heart begins to melt when she meets water element Wade Ripple, a city inspector who could cause no end of trouble for the business. But can fire and water really mix rather than coexist? What we get here... It's a level of consistency. Pixar will always be judged against their own body of work. And it's not one of their best, but it's good enough. The story plugs into a common theme of people learning to live together, with a good old-fashioned romance thrown into the mix. There are clever visual gags and some nice one-liners. All good, solid entertainment. But as I say, good fun. One for the family, but it does the job. Yeah, it had that feel of... It wasn't gonna do too much. Um, no. It felt even just from the trailers and things like it sort of was riffing a little bit off Inside Out and uh, yeah. Soul and th- like in terms yeah. of just the way that it looked. That I yeah. thought that they're not doing anything kind of revolutionary here. It just feels like yeah, they're making another film. Yeah. And then when I started to see the reviews, and it was like three stars, three stars, yeah. three stars. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's yeah. exactly what they've done. Yeah, it feel. I mean, I gave it three stars. You wouldn't give it anything less because it is very very well done and it, it's good fun to watch but you get the sense it's a bit of a filler for pixar you know it's sort of like oh, we'll put something out now we'll keep keep things ticking over before the next big project arrives that's what it feels like but you know this as i say there, there are some nice lines in it you know some good visual gags um and this idea of, of of a, a couple one one's a fire element and one's a water element you know one can extinguish the other 
the other one can vaporize the other. It's that's quite good. That's quite cute. I like that. But again, it's it's not it's not a it's not a barnstormer. It's not going to be a classic, but it will do. You know, it's good go. fun. It'll do. Um, yeah. That'll be the, the title of the next Pixar film. Um, <laughs> I've given them inspiration. I, I, I should claim something off them, shouldn't I, really? Right. You know. Well, I'm excited about this next one because I'm a big fan of the franchise. So we're heading over to the Tom Cruise vehicle, oh, which is yes. Mission Impossible. So this is what? Dead Reckoning Part 1? Is that Dead it? Reckoning Part so, 1. Yep. Oh, well, this is the film of the year in my Wow. So film far. of the year. So far. Uh, I, I must say that I must add that that health warning so far. <laughs> Directed by Christopher McQuarrie, starring Tom Cruise, Haley Atwell, Ding Rames, Simon Pegg, Rebecca Ferguson, and Vanessa Kirby. This is the seventh Mission Impossible film, and it is a cracker. The story begins when Ethan Hunt receives details of his latest mission. His team are charged with recovery of the key to a device powered by artificial intelligence known as the Entity. In the wrong hands, it could have devastating consequences with the potential to control defense systems. Not only must they recover the key, but also learn what it unlocks. Hunt is joined by right-hand man Luther Stickle and nervy technical wizard Benji Don. They combine with old sparring partner Ilsa Faust as they chase the key through the Middle Eastern Europe. The situation grows increasingly complex as pickpocket Grace is hired to steal the, the key for a mystery client. Sinister forces begin to close in as Alana Mitsopolis acts as the duplicitous go-between. So, where do I, what can I say? The stunts are absolutely jaw-dropping and move at a breakneck speed. Cruise romps through the countryside on, on a motorbike, a bit like Steve McQueen in The Great Escape. It builds to a thrilling set piece that ha- already has a life of its own. It's an amazing film. All the previous instalments just feel anonymous in comparison. It certainly fills the void temporarily left by James Bond. I can't wait for the next part. It is brilliant. I absolutely loved it. And it's five stars. I would give it six stars if I could. <laughs> but I won't let you. No, no. I, we can't, can we? That yeah. would breach the reviewer's code, wouldn't it, if we did? It would. And I don't, I don't want to hear anything about these people that, that do out of ten or anything like that. Or out of a hundred no. or anything like that. It's five. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. That's, a, that's an easy scale to follow, though, isn't it? One to five. But no, I, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of the Mission Impossible films. I think they have done really well to keep the franchise on tracks. It just yeah. seems to know how to deliver a really yeah. really great film. Because even the first three, well, the first one is just legendary. It's really good. Um, yeah. I think two and three are a little bit sort of like okay, like are they as enjoyable? But mm. after you get, I, I just think they just keep getting better from there. I was like, I this is great. This is great. And I think it's like um, you were saying earlier about films when it, when the industry evolves, yeah. these films seem to know how to embrace that and go, all right, yeah, now we can do a film on this yeah. level. And now we can do a film on this level. Um, they're not trying to redo the formula that, although there is that, that aspect, but they really do think, okay, right. What's the next craziest stunt we can do? Because yeah. now we can, you know, really get it done yeah, um yeah, so yeah yeah well you see they do say that the next one dead reckoning part two will be the last mission impossible film and you know i would be sad if that happened but maybe it's it's best to sort of say right we draw a line under it now we can't do any better than we've already done leave the punters wanting more you know in some ways you you, you crave more but you don't want more you know, I think we should, as 
as fans, as film guys, we should accept when some when we've seen enough of something. With Mission Impossible, they leave enough time in between releases, so it stays fairly fresh. On average, there's a two or three year gap in between, and that makes sense. And I think in a way that they're filling the gap left that's temporarily left by James Bond. I'll come back to that point because it is a kind of a James Bond-esque kind of story. It's the sort of film they should be making with the new Bond. But it's brilliant. Um, that's, that's why you go to the movies. Absolutely brilliant. You can't take your eyes off it. Tom Cruise gives you value for money every single time. You can't really... You know, he has his detractors, but from this film, I can't see why. Because it is so good. It's so good. It really is. There you go. Film of the year so far. Yeah. Um, one more from the cinema uh, releases. It is No Hard Feelings. Ah, right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Right. So this, so this was a late replacement. This was a substitute for Oppenheimer because I couldn't get to see Oppenheimer in time. So I thought I'd go and see this film. And um, it's in complete contrast to Oppenheimer, really. Uh, <laughs> but it's a pleasant surprise, Chris. Um, directed by Gene Stupnitsky. I knew I was going to have trouble with this name. Gene Stupnitsky. I've been rehearsing this, you know. It didn't come out right, but anyway. Um, and starring Jennifer Lawrence, uh, Adam Barthelman, and a brief cameo from Matthew Broderick. So what have we got here? Maddie Barker is a bed-hopping singleton with a string of one-night stands behind her. She owes property tax on her home and is struggling to pay what's owed. Maddie makes a living as an Uber driver, but a car has been repossessed. Desperate measures are required, so Maddie replies to an advert placed by the Beckers. The micromanagement of their son Percy knows no bounds and have a special assignment for her, should she choose to accept. See what I did there? Nice. Yeah, anyway. So um, the Beckers are seeking a summer companion for Percy before he heads off to college. It soon becomes obvious that Maddie has to date Percy in every sense of the word. However, she gets the use of the family Buick for her services. It all seems like a no-brainer. She gets to drive a great car and solve her money worries all in one go. And how could he possibly resist her undoubted charms? But she hasn't bargained for Percy's sheltered upbringing. And in fact, he barely leaves his bedroom. So, so look, you know what the deal is here, really, and can easily predict the outcome. But the characters are so likeable. Maddie comes across as a calculating woman of the world, but really has a heart of gold. Percy is the goofy kid who fails to recognise a gift horse, but it's more perceptive than, than anyone realises. There is a surprising depth in the plot that initially seems flimsy, but is ultimately revealing. Life experience comes in many guises and proves that age doesn't always make us wiser. But a very, very nice watch. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you said that it was a, it was a good film. And I, I was nice that you got this in there because obviously great to have Oppenheimer if we could but this felt like maybe something that did need a, a, a light shined on it I had seen a few good reviews of it out there um, saying that it was funnier than they thought it was going to be so yeah, it's, yeah it surprises you what I think is I find baffling though Chris is that the, the timing of release to release it at the beginning of July when they're up against four absolutely massive films mm. Indiana Jones Mission Impossible Oppenheimer and Barbie as well that, you know, I can't understand why they released it now because it is going to get buried. 
this type of film will do up against big beasts like that. You know, if they'd waited for a month or two, early autumn, you know, it would have done a lot better. But like many others, I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Um, very, very good watch. Really nice film. There you go. No hard feelings. And that's the end of the cinema releases. Um, so we're going to move swiftly on to a film that came out on Netflix this month, July, if you're listening, um, which was a sequel to the Bird Box film, uh, Bird Box Barcelona. Mm. Um, had you seen the original of this, Brian? No, I hadn't. But I'll tell you what I did, though, Chris. As soon as I saw it was already on Netflix, the first one, I had to watch that as well. I could it's, not... It's could worth not a watch, be. actually. I quite like that film. I thought yeah. it was all right. They're both very good films. And I think for concert... I mean, you don't have to watch... Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The first one. No. And it's not necessarily a sequel, is it? Bird Box Barcelona. Because I think it's happening in parallel with what you see in Bird Box. Absolutely, yeah. It feels like yeah. it's like they've got this event and then they're just doing like a separate story yeah. elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. but uh, for Bird Box Barcelona, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it was a really gripping, intense film to watch. You know, the idea that this creature has somehow managed to force mass suicides is it's a scary concept and it and it is a bit like a kind of a post-apocalyptic event what i found slightly frustrating about about it was that it didn't really explain why this has happened how this creature attained the power that it did did you did you find that um, yes so i think like partly with this film and with the first one it was the they do leave things purposefully vague, I think, because yeah. they don't want to trip themselves up. They don't want to sort of yeah. get into the whole it's kind deliberate. of... deliberate. Yeah. yeah. And I think with this film, where which differs to the first movie, um, is that there's a bit more of a focus on the people that seem to be now going along with the beast or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and then recruiting people to try and then get them to kill themselves. Cause it's like they've had the whole wave of everyone just doing it. And then there's all the people that have managed to survive and hold themselves up inside yeah. a house. So now you've got these, um, this group of people who like one of whom is our like protagonist who we're following. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sebastian who is going into these like crevices to try and mm. root people out so that he can bring them to the light and show them this uh, the beast and then for they then go and kill themselves so it's quite a dark premise and i think yeah. the film doesn't want to sort of spend too much time on the the supernatural element it's more to do with like the human element in this film of like well 
he's clearly being corrupted um mm. uh, and you kind of understand why as it goes along but you yeah. kind of also get attached to him you get attached to his survival yeah. and you want him to, to yeah. sort of make it but you also want him to sort of redeem himself because of all the sort of yeah. bad things he's done i mean there's a particularly amazing scene in a bus station um yeah. where i've never seen a bus go that fast let alone right. inside a you know contained building yeah. um but yeah. i thought one of the strengths of the film was that the set pieces were just relentless that every mm. like five ten minutes you're getting a huge action sequence and it they really didn't spare any expense it was just huge yeah. it was a huge I know, movie yeah i i agree the the stunts the visuals were, were amazing absolutely incredible particularly the cable car as well yeah. that was absolutely riveting you couldn't take your eyes off it and there's that kind of sense of it of you being there as well so the direction is very perceptive and it, and it puts you in the time and in the place, which is what any any director needs to do, but you see it so clearly in this film. Yeah, I, I think it's it's the type of film that, like you say, you don't need to see the first one. If you do, it helps because I think actually the first one's probably a little bit more accessible than this one, um, and you really get into the idea of this post-apocalyptic world quite quickly. Yeah. Um, whenever this sort of film comes out. I always compare it to a film like A Quiet Place, which is a similarly oh, okay. similarly vain film in terms yeah. of, you know, it's a world where everything's gone to shit because yeah. you, well, in that one, you can't make a sound. And in this one, you can't look at anything. Yeah. So there's like a very simple premise there. And I think A Quiet Place is a much better film. Um, mm. it's, it's delivered better. But with yeah. this, I think they know that the strength is in these action sequences. So they do kind of deliver them fairly rapidly. And you follow the protagonist from sort of one location to another. It doesn't get too bogged down in one area. It knows that it needs to move on. But, so yeah. I quite liked that. Um, it wasn't without its fault. So I think there was there were parts to it that I was, oh, okay, that doesn't really seem like it would that that's how they would react or how they because yeah. i'm always questioning these things because you know if i ever found myself in this situation i'd be like would i do that i don't yeah. think i would do that <laughs> but you see, see the thing is though with any film you you're gonna think to yourself well what would i do then what, what would i do if i was in their shoes and that is something you go through your mind with every film you watch you think what would you do and a lot of it doesn't make sense but possibly going back to your earlier point about not explaining too much of the backstory is to keep you wondering and guessing and make you curious. But it gets to a point where you think that actually becomes quite irritating because you, you, I think you, you need to portray a certain amount of logic with any storyline, with any narrative. You look at a character's motivation and they could do things that are as outrageous as you, you like, but it has to maintain some grip on reality. And that's where they tread a very fine line. And that's where you start to question it more. You know, because it is a terrifying scenario. I mean, that scenario goes further than most uh, post-apocalyptic type films would go. I mean, look at uh, Children of Men, for example. You know, that film, as dire as it portrayed, as scenes that it portrayed, you know, there was always a sense of hope there with Children of Men, that they might find a way back. But the scenario in Bird Box Barcelona sounds like the end, doesn't it? yeah it feels like you know how how are they ever going to sort of survive and without giving away too much uh, like sort of near the end you do get an element of oh okay like they've found a way to survive yeah that's it it's not like oh there's a there's a cure or whatever but 
I well, I, maybe there is, but I think with Netflix, likelihood is they are lining up more of these films. You know, I, it'll I, be like, so. I do think though they should they have to stick with the alliteration. Like every location should have to begin with B. So it's like Bird Box, yeah. Barcelona, Bird yeah. Box, Boston, Birmingham, Birmingham. Bournemouth. <laughs> No, no, Birmingham was perfect. Bird Box, Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, no, I think oh, you're right now, actually, yeah. That's terrific. That's really good. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, enjoyable film. I think you know, it's worth worth your time, but it doesn't it doesn't quite reach the the heights of things like Children of Men, A Quiet yeah. Place, those sort of films. There, there are yeah. better films in this genre, uh, but it's, yeah. it's worthy. Yeah, those films you've just mentioned there are, are much better rounded. You know, they're more complete narratives. But I think with Bird Box Barcelona, it's more limited, but a very good watch, though. Very good watch. Cool. So that's your streaming pick for the month, and we'll be reviewing something else from my platform next month. Moving on now to the indie films. Oh. We, have, we have two very good indie yeah. films to review first. Yeah. Um, we're going to do The Reaper Man, which I reviewed for the site recently, mm. and uh, was directed by Jaron Lockridge, Starring Jessica Jai Johnson, Keenan Walker, and Ebony Bivens. You don't have to face anything alone till death do us part. Really, death ain't even that strong. <laughs> you have an aura of deep sorrow surrounding you. You're a widow. Do you believe in the supernatural? Evil. I see evil every day. But if you're talking about demons and ghosts, I can't say I do. undo whatever it is that you've done. What is there to undo? Okay, he's come back, but he's killing people. I need you to stop it and make him go away. this one brian i did yeah 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 um indie horror film got a lot of throwbacks i think to some of the sort of uh classic movies of scares and jump scares and things yeah, like that yeah, yeah. very indie feel to it it's it's got kind of obviously quite low budget um yeah, yeah. it's well before i get to my review what do you think brian you go for you. I, I really enjoyed it i really liked it a lot as we've discussed previously, I'm not a huge fan of horror as a genre. You know, I, I don't respond in the right way. You know, we've chatted about this before, haven't we? But yeah. I don't react in the right, right way to a horror film. So 
for me to enjoy a horror film, it has to be something unusual and something different. And I, I really reacted to this in the right way. I found it quite scary and quite grippy. I like the idea of a fusion in storylines in some ways, because this is a, basically a zombie killer, isn't it? Come back to, you know, come back to hunt down those that have wronged him. And I like that idea because it incorporates ideas from Death Wish as well. You know, this idea of vengeance, vigilantism, up to a point. And for a low-budget movie, I think it was highly effective. And some really good lines, because I think the essence of horror is that they do bring out humorous humorous elements in the story. You know, and there were some great lines, because he was hunting down members of this gang that robbed him and his wife yeah and uh you know the the tagline time to atone you can imagine that being a tagline on a, on a hit movie couldn't you really um and when one of the gang members was trying was about to shoot him or tries to shoot him and it, um, joseph says i've got no more blood to spill but you have i like that line <laughs> it's such a good line so i found it very enjoyable what about you yeah I, i'm the same I, I think i found it um it had a strong setup, you know, this idea of the, the couple, they, they get burgled and it kind of goes wrong and um, Joseph ends up getting killed and the wife's sort of distraught in the fallout of this and ends up turning to like a local, um, I don't know what you'd call her. Voodoo? Uh, voodoo what? practitioner. Yeah, <laughs> Is that the category on Google? Um, yeah, who, dark magic, uh, yeah. Dark magic, yeah. So, yeah, and, and, you know, offers to help uh, the wife and, mm. Yeah, lo and behold, bring, but does warn her. Just want to say that, you know, she does warn her that when he comes back, he's not going to be the same. And clearly yeah. he's not. He's uh, hell-bent on revenge and is looking to um, get these thieves to atone. And he, he shouts that line, I think, at all of them, doesn't he? Like, time yeah, to atone or whatever, or something yeah. like that. Like, when, yeah. he, when he does yeah, totally find them. Does what he does. And I think what I like about that is that it's, it's the horror. It feels like a classic horror setup, and they've stuck to it, and they've really felt that they're going to deliver it with timing. It's got yeah. it's like nice timing to it. Yeah. Sometimes with horror films, there's an essence of well, keep moving, keep running, keep keep everyone screaming. But with the Reaper Man, it was like it had a slower pace mm. to it that felt that they were actually letting the movie breathe a little bit, yeah. and you were you had time to kind of care about the characters some scenes did actually go on a bit too long if i'm honest it was about like okay yeah. Yeah, you could you could cut there if you wanted to yeah but yeah. but generally it was it was nice to see the film you know tell this story in a way that felt they had the space to do so and you end up really 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 caring about the 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 wife who's you know part jessica who's yeah partner has absolutely left her completely devoid uh and now is now is causing trouble that it's yeah. like she's stuck and she's caused it you yeah. do kind of wonder who you're meant to root for i'm guessing it is her um because um, she kind of yeah. brought it on herself really yeah she kind of did didn't she really <laughs> i suppose really but that came out you know any 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 grieving widow might go to a i don't know a medium or a psychic and say bring my husband back and that's something i suppose that's something real that's kind of like a, a natural human emotion but of course, she wanted him back as he was, and not how he how he actually was, you know, became. But uh, I really liked it. And it. You know, it's an indication of how much I rated it because I'm not a huge fan of horror horror movies. So I naturally set the the bar quite high. But I really enjoyed it. 
Yeah, it's, it's quite accessible, I think. It's, it's not yeah. trying to... Um, it's not trying to scare you every two seconds as well. That I, I like that. And yeah. there's, like, a very human plot there alongside this, uh, like, obviously zombie um, yeah. style story. Is he yeah. a zombie, though? I guess he is well, a zombie. Was, back from the yeah, dead. But... I, I was thinking about that when I was watching it, because is it really a, a zombie or an apparition? or A demon? Because yeah. he comes back, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, not I'm not great sure. on the terminology, but... Uh, no, no, me. But he is coming back to reap hell on these people yeah, and that's absolutely. what he's the reaper man um that's what he yeah. says in the team <laughs> good performances as well yeah. i like the i like the chemistry between a lot of them um yeah. especially because yeah, what was good as well they were giving you flashbacks to the f- couple like throughout the film so you like, you saw when they got married yeah. and things like that 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 added a nice depth to the story because yeah. it was like oh wow like we're understanding more of their trajectory yeah. as a couple and what they've gone through and how they got to yeah. where they were um and yeah some of the sort of revelations later on are yeah. actually more powerful because you yeah. get that depth which they could have yeah. not had that they could have just had the guy running around killing everyone but actually yeah. you learn to like know more about him uh that i think that was important to uh, do that. An, yeah there's a discernible narrative there isn't there that the fact that it began with them as a couple you know personification of domestic bliss and, and they're getting the money together for a house you know and then it suddenly jumps doesn't it it yeah. jumps to to this level of extreme violence and the fallout from that that violent act so i like that kind of jump between two two extremes so but it, it makes the story more human and as you point out uh, a lot of horror movies just overlook a strong narrative or a narrative that holds together but this does so that's in its favor as well there we go. That's The Reaper Man, uh, directed by Jerome Lockridge. And it's currently available on VOD and demand. You'll have to do a quick search. I'm sure you'll find it uh, pretty quickly. Um, if not, ping us an email and I'm sure we can direct you. Um, next up, second indie film of the episode, Fear, directed yeah. and written by Rocky Palladino. Yeah. Yeah. interesting one this one this one was um it was reviewed on the website a long time ago and yeah. we um were asked to review it for the podcast and i thought okay yeah. i have a have a look at this and yeah i really liked it i thought it was a very interesting film i've not seen something like this um delivered especially not by um a uk team no. in terms of the combination of almost like a taken style uh, thriller of trying yeah, to find your loved yeah. one mixed yeah. with like a musical yeah, <laughs> approach. I know. Uh, I know this sounds baffling, but it does make sense in the film. It am works. I am I crazy? That is right, yeah. though, isn't no, that, it? That, the way I the way I, I I took it was that um, Thea, played by Sharika Shirad, she plays a busker, aspiring singer songwriter who's on the cusp of signing a a, a record contract. She has a partner, Justine, who suddenly walks out on her and she goes off to find her. Uh, but it leads her into a very dark world, doesn't it? And there is that strong suggestion of human trafficking and uh, sex workers. And it's, it's a very unsavory environment. But it, it surprised me, really, um, because, you know, when you're kind of watching something and you, you're writing the story yourself and you think i know what's going to happen next but it surprises you because i thought when justine walked out on her i thought she was just going to write a new album of songs based on the breakup 
Yeah, I did too. <laughs> I, I, did you think? Were you thinking that? I, was. I, I thought it was going to be all right. Yeah, she's going to spiral into depression now, yeah. and we're going to see her struggle, throw away her opportunity, and and yeah, come come full circle at the end, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but then it doesn't go that way at all. <laughs> no, I know. But yeah, I think I think that is really what it boils down to. But it, so it surprises you um, as a viewer. It's not what you expect. But that's so much more to its credit. I think Sharika Sherrard has uh, got a good voice and they're all her own songs that she's written there. And I was really impressed with that. But if I'm really honest, I found myself wanting more of her songs. Yeah. She, she sang maybe three or four throughout the, um, what, the 87 minutes-ish that it, that it was on. But apparently the director, though, saw her busking in, in the street and she'd never acted previously. And you wouldn't think it, would you, that she'd never acted? I thought it was a good performance. There were times where I do think she struggled with the emotion of it. I, I, I'll have to hold my hands up there and I'll be honest. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil the story because there's yeah. bits where I, I'm, I'm referring to that would give it away what happens. But there are certain bits where I was like, do you know what? That is probably just a little above the level of what you can handle because yeah. she was with um, another character who's a, a sex worker and... Yeah. Um, who was very good. She did handle it really yeah. well. And oh, it was a very good performance. Yeah. And I think when you put the two together, and this happens a lot in um, cinema where you get musicians that turn themselves into actors. I mean, you mentioned uh, David Bowie earlier in the, uh, in the yeah. episode. Um, but when you sometimes get these performers that are fabulous, obviously you know, what they do, and then they, they turn into acting and that when you ask them to deliver something like that, yeah. It is really difficult, and not being funny, it's a difficult scene. What, what I'm referring yeah. to, yeah, it's by the bus. Uh, it's by the yeah. bus. I don't want to yeah. say anymore, but yeah. it was like, yeah, you. That was a, a couple of bits like that where I was like, okay, yeah. But in general, for the majority of the film, no, fabulous performance, and like yeah. you say, the actual vocal performances. I because I'm a musician, I was watching. I was like, yeah, I just want to watch more of this. I'd have a whole, yeah. I'd have a whole um, right. show of this, you know, absolutely. Um, but yeah. I, that wasn't to detract from the great story and, and acting because yeah. um, I wanted to give a shout out to Andrew Whip, who plays Uncle, uh, a, a bit of a baddie. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, he's good. His, yeah, his good. performance yeah. was excellent, yeah. really terrifying, really menacing, yeah. um, really believable as well. Because in a story like this, where you do have, you know, she goes into the, the depths of sex workers and, yeah. and, and, and trafficking and stuff, that yeah. you're like, it, this could really not work. Yeah. It, it did it on a stage that kind of did it was like, okay actually that this they're keeping this in the realms of believability and, and yeah. keeping everyone kind of focused on a narrative that would work and yeah, yeah there was times i was just gripped by it i, I yeah. really was enthralled by like okay what's happened to her girlfriend you know, we want to know what's going yeah. on there and what are they going to do to fear who's just stepped into here clearly not a world that she's comfortable in yeah um but yeah, there was just bits where you know, a couple of times where I thought they they vamped it up so high that I just don't think she could quite yeah. crush it uh, like she yeah. does the vocal stuff. I, th- I think it's interesting with um, performers, singers, pop stars, people that that are performing artists. They write songs and they and they sing. You naturally think they're going to be born actors, and doesn't necessarily follow. I think, you, you know, it's not always going to be the case because you know when they get up and perform, sing a song, there's an element of performance there. And acting is about delivering a performance. So there are similarities. But, you know, I sense that she's a work in progress and that, yeah, there were points in the film where 
it was kind of getting away from her a little bit, I think. But it was a good first, you know, good first shot. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's a fabulous. Yeah. You telling me the story about yeah, you know, she's not even like professionally trained as an actor. Yeah. I think it's, it's that's incredible. That's remarkable. Yeah. But yeah, there was just those slight bits. But I think in this role, you'd be very hard strung to find someone that could do all of it, you know, could do all the vocal stuff, could do all the performance. Yeah. She's playing the guitar literally yeah. in front of us. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's the type of film that it's inspiring in loads of different ways. Uh, I think it was made during the lockdown. Um, oh, so you've right, got okay. that aspect. Yeah. You've got the protagonist who's a singer songwriter, black mm. female who becomes almost a bit of an action kind of uh, hero, sort of. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's got, a lot of originality about it, a lot of yeah. things that I've not seen on screen, definitely not enough anyway. Yeah. Um, and also it's tying into this. I, I didn't know about the story until I knew uh, I researched it about this film, but Orpheus, you know, this story about yeah, the based on Greek Orpheus, yeah. legend of a, That's you know, right, yeah. a person based music and stuff that I was like, okay, actually there's some real depth here. There's, yeah. you know, there's a lot of thought that have gone into this yeah. film and a lot of um, fabulous production values. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was, I don't know. I think more people need to watch it. I genuinely yeah. was like, I watched it. I thought this is exactly why we do what we do. They, yeah. Some people need to go and literally rent this film oh, right now. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think both indie films that we've reviewed on this particular podcast, Chris are excellent. Two of the best indie films I've seen in quite some time. And you, you don't realize uh, the standard and the quality that's out there. And it does need, I mean, a film like fear does, does need a platform. You know, it does need to be seen by a much wider audience, and it'd be a crying shame that if it didn't, uh, uh, it didn't sort of develop from here, that it, it didn't lead to something else, because it needs to be seen by a much wider audience, which is what we often say with indie films that they need to be seen by more people. Well, luckily you can, because it is available to rent and or buy on Amazon Prime, I believe. Um, oh, let me double check. Yeah, uh, it should be in the UK and the US. Uh, if it's not and you can't find it, do drop us a, a message and we'll do our best to point you in the right direction. But I'm pretty sure I checked it out on there first. To yeah, see I think it, it is. Actually, yeah. And yeah, you can um, you can certainly watch it there. And it, it was really worth time. Hour and a half. Uh, it's a good amount of you know indie film there. Mm. And yeah, something that you aren't going to see. You know, this is not going to be the sort of film that is just right. falling into Netflix. So yeah, Absolutely. check it out. Yeah. Um, it's been uh, it's spelled P H E A by the way, fear. Uh, yeah. If you're wondering um, yeah. how it's spelled, so that leaves us with only one film, and there's only really one way to introduce this film, really, which is. Jaws from 1975. Yeah. Steven Spielberg. I mean, can you get more cinema than this? This is just cinema, isn't it? Is this yeah. cinema? Yeah, of course it is. Absolutely. In every sense of the word. The fact that it's nearly 50 years old doesn't diminish its power in any way. No, no way whatsoever. I hadn't, I hadn't, I've seen Jaws. I've seen this film a few times over the years, but I hadn't seen it. When when you said we were going to do Jaws, um, that, was, that was the first time I'd seen it in maybe 10 or 12 years. And I was kind of testing myself a little bit. And one of, the, one of the tests that I apply to this film is, are the special effects still holding up after nearly 50 years? And I think mostly they are. You know, Bruce the Mechanical Shark did a fantastic job. <laughs> um, even though it kept on breaking down, 
And there's an interesting story behind that, which we'll come to a bit later. But um, I think you really see what a brilliant filmmaker Steven Spielberg is with Jaws, because this mechanical shark, by modern standards, would look primitive. But I think Spielberg realised at the time that uh, to leave it on screen for too long, the subterfuge wouldn't last. So he kept uh, footage of the mechanical shark down to a minimum and mixed it with real-life footage of a shark. So it felt real, but you only got brief glimpses, and that heightened the tension. Brilliant piece of filmmaking, really good. And three brilliant actors. Yeah, you, you can't go wrong with this film. Um uh, I've seen a few people that have only come to it later in life. Yeah. I watched it. Um, I watched it probably a bit too young. I think I watched it when I was like about eight or something. When oh right, yeah. my my brother I think put it on. Um, it's not, it's but but it is a it's a very suspenseful film. But as a yeah. child, I did not find it that scary. If I'm honest, because I think as a child it was like yeah, it's fine. But because yeah. I think as a kid it's more like if you're watching things that are more. I don't know, human-based, because like, I think that would be more scary. But with with Jaws, it absolutely holds up. There are, obviously, if you know the stories, I know a few things about the sort of um, the shark and stuff, that it's like, they, they are a bit clunky if you're really looking for them. Yeah. But if you're not, I, I still think it really holds up. There's the bit where he goes in the cage in the water. Yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely yeah. terrified of open water. That, yeah. for me, is like my biggest fear. And when he goes into there and... All you can see in front of him is the bars and then the, the, just the expanse of blue. Yeah. And then it slowly gets slightly more darker towards him. I'm like, I know. that is pure fear that I'm feeling right now. <laughs> no, it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, and what a great tagline, you know, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was about 10 when Jaws came out. So obviously I didn't go on and see the film at the cinema. The only films I saw at the cinema then were probably James Bond and Star Wars and Walt Disney and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I only got to see Jaws when it when it was released on TV. And back then, the uh, film companies had the whip hand. They would only allow a film to be shown on TV up four years after release. So I didn't see it probably until the early 80s. But it had an incredible impact on me when I saw it. I thought it was amazing. Particularly those three actors, Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss. Um, I saw a play a couple of years back called The Shark is Broken. And it was a play written by Ian Shaw, which is Robert, who is Robert Shaw's son. And he played his father in the play. And it delves into the tension that grew between the three actors whilst they were waiting for the shark to be repaired. Bruce the shark kept on breaking down. So the friction you saw on screen came from something that was real. Because... They, they'd spent days together since, sitting on this boat, three egos together, waiting for this shark to be repaired. And what you see, the tension you see on screen, came from something that was quite real because they were getting on each other's nerves. And I think it's fascinating to see what, what made it the film it was. Not only did you have three brilliant actors, you had a brilliant director and a great screenplay by Peter Benchley. But you also had real life tension being played out on screen it's it's a fabulous film and it really worked in terms of the pacing of it like i mentioned mm. earlier about a film that 
they give you enough to make you kind of, oh, this is interesting. Oh, this is, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Yeah. But they don't overdo it. They don't over-deliver the shark and they don't give you sort of so much that you kind of go, oh, okay, right, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Like, if you've watched some other of these sort of films, like yeah. shark, Sharknado or those sort of things, they, yeah. they just blow their load so quickly that you're like, yeah. oh, right, yeah, we're all done now. Um, but with Jaws, it's just a great example of how you can coax a story into the perfect running time that you are by the end of it the last half an hour is sensational it is so Mm. gripping and so moving and yeah it's an amazing film amazing Uh, but there's some really clever touches there um that really shows what a genius steven spielberg is you know the when roy scheider because he plays the police chief doesn't he yeah and um, when he's sitting on the beach and he's convinced that there's something out there, right? And, you know, the mayor is saying, forget it. This is a big time for the island. It's the 4th of July, all the rest of it. When he sees something happening, they go for an extreme close-up very quickly on Roy Scheider. He's got great expressive eyes and that look of fear is palpable. You can feel it. You can see he's terrified, absolutely terrified. And I love those sort of touches, you know, for example, when they're hunting the shark, they've got these kind of yellow boys, haven't they, that are attached to a kind of a harpoon. And when they know they've got the shark, they can see these two yellow boys moving along. That is incredibly suspenseful. But you don't see the shark. He leaves it in your head, doesn't he? Yeah. And that is genius. Absolutely genius. One thing I noticed as well when I was watching it was the script. Um, quite often the characters are talking over each other. And I yeah. I loved that. It had a really natural dialogue to it yeah. that it also really vamped up the tension because it was chaotic and no one yeah. knew quite what was going on. Yeah. And it really like added to the to the feel of that. Did, yeah. I, I only noticed it on the most recent watch, but yeah, it was just something I picked up. I know, I know that you're right. And I think it adds to the realism because people in that situation aren't necessarily going to wait for the other person to finish talking. They yeah. are going to be talking over each other. That's a sense of panic setting in. So again, you're right. I, I never thought of that until you mentioned it, but you're quite right. They do do that. And the, the tendency is to let one character finish what they're saying first. And that's not the way people behave, is it? Well, it is on this podcast. You know, we wait. You know, oh, of course we, we do. Yeah, we're very polite, aren't we? <laughs> very yeah. polite. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you haven't seen Jaws, it's on Netflix. So yeah. do go watch it. It's, it's one of those films that, you know, when I was at uni, I did this thing where I watched... 50 films that everyone talked about that I'd never seen and oh, right. Jaws was okay. one of them now this yeah. was sorry Jaws wasn't one of them but Jaws was the sort of film that would be on those yeah, kind would of be lists on that list. yeah. yeah like I'd yeah. seen it but there's a lot of people that hadn't and um when I watched it for for this podcast I was like yeah it still holds up it's one of those films that will be a classic because it just still really works yeah. um and yeah no um do go watch it I yeah. think it's fabulous yeah. It's got to watch it. I mean, for any film fan, it, 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 as you just mentioned, it's got to be on your list of classic films to watch at some point. Did they make Definitely. more? They did, didn't they? They did. They, they did, I think, two or three more, but they were nowhere near as good, though. Yeah, I haven't seen any of those. So Yeah, uh, you're not missing much, really. Uh, something you might want to hunt out for a Sunday, uh, sorry, a rainy Sunday afternoon. <laughs> but that, that'd be it. But no, they weren't great, to be honest. They weren't okay. good. Well... Or leave them where they are. I'll leave them yeah. unfound. Um, for now, for, at least for the time being. I'll for the time being. Yeah, until yeah. I watch all the other films in the world. Yeah, once exactly. I watch all the other films, I'll come yeah. back and, and grab That's them. Right. 
Um, so yeah, that was our nostalgia pick, and also the end of the episode. Um, it's been it's been a fabulous time. We've we've been all over. We've been to Barcelona. Yeah, we've no. been to wherever Mission Impossible goes, which well, is everywhere, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah, Middle um, East. Uh, we we are waiting yeah. for Bird Box Birmingham, though. I think that is the biggest takeaway from. Yeah. the episode it kind of works doesn't it really really looking forward to that you're not um, you're not convinced by bird box <laughs> bournemouth though no? i love bournemouth i love it as a place but yeah. i don't think it would be as gripping <laughs> as the end of the world in birmingham yeah i think okay, that yeah. is yeah. going to be a film i need to see yeah i think so i think you're right actually it shades it doesn't it really <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but yeah thank you to the filmmakers uh who submitted their films and thank you to everyone for listening thank you to brian for going and seeing so many films you lovely uh, man thank you very absolute much absolute pleasure <laughs> as always um and this has been uk film club as part of the uk film review podcast do listen to our other shows and our other episodes it's all available for you to gorge on right now um but yeah thank you again and we'll see you next time bye for now deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.